Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point this morning and recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you all with us today. Trust that you had a great uh, 4th of July weekend. Um, we had a great time out relaxing. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the relaxing during holidays wears you more out than the working? Because <laughs> you're doing stuff you don't normally do or you're cleaning things. Or we're cleaning the boat. You know, I felt like the karate kid. Wax on, wax off. You know, <clears throat> got home and was still cleaning. I was cleaning the ATV and getting it all wiped out. And my wife comes out, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning up the ATV. Said, I'm going to go taking it out again. She said, why would you clean it if it's just going to get dirty again? <laughs> Thankfully, she does not view my underwear in the same line of thought. <laughs> Come here. Come here. People don't know who you are. No, they don't. All the people at Stevens Point and Apple, they're like, seriously, come on, come on. Isn't she pretty? They, some of them, but there's a lot of new people, they don't know who you are, and they think I just make you up. All the people in Appleton and Stevens Point think I made you up, but now they know. All right, okay, see you later. <laughs> All right. We want to do our uh, Go Beyond update. Let's take a look at the numbers for our special fundraising campaign. Appleton is now up to $41,000. Stevens Point, $93,000. West Green Bay just crossed one hundred grand, And East Green Bay, obviously the largest campus, up to $407,000 for a total of $650,000. $455. So praise the Lord for that. If uh, you're not part of this campaign, we encourage you to join with us. Uh, what it is, is it's what it says is go beyond. It's above and beyond our normal giving, our normal giving that we come to on Sunday. Uh, this is beyond, beyond that to help us to do outreaches and other things that we're attempting to do for the church. And uh, so we're halfway through this campaign and continue to encourage you to be faithful in supporting that. And again, if you haven't joined with us, please join with us and uh, be part of this changing the world. Uh, this morning, I want to read to you from Acts, the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, in the New Testament, it starts out with the uh, four gospels, four different accounts of the same events. And uh, just to, you know, it's not just one person saying this. There were several different people, some who actually saw it, some who didn't see it at all, but just reported what was told to them. It's all, it all lines up. It's rather amazing. 
the four Gospels. And then the very next book is called The Acts of the Apostles, written by one of the guys who wrote one of the Gospels. It's written by Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he records what happens in early Christianity, how it all got started and, and whatnot and, and stuff. So Luke is sharing with that. Now, uh, as I've said before, you know, people, some people, not very many, but some people will say the Bible's just a bunch of stories. I answer, my answer to that is if it's a bunch of stories, these are the worst storytellers in the world because they did a terrible job of telling stories. There's no drama and it. it doesn't give you facts. A lot of the Bible reads like a police report. <laughs> you know, this is what happened. That's what that guy said. This is what the other guy said. And here was the end result. You know, just boom. That's the facts, ma'am, right? So it's not, there's no, you know, the drama and the details all missing. I mean, I, I wish it had more of that. You know, when Jesus, you know, fed 5,000 people with just a basket of fish, what was that like? Were there fish bubbling off? I mean, who knows what the deal was? It doesn't say, doesn't give us the details. Where are the details? And I think they did this intentionally throughout the entire Bible. Very limited on all that. I think to intentionally tap down the idea that these were stories of men's imaginations because they are not stories as one would tell stories. Now, the book of Acts is the same. Luke comes in pretty much just giving us the facts. But about uh, midway through the book of Acts, certainly by this point, uh, the dialogue changes. Up to this point, Luke is saying, you know, Paul did this and Peter did that and the apostles did that and the church did this and da-da-da-da and very matter-of-fact but at some point, the dialogue changes, and he starts saying, we did this, and we did that, because now Luke has actually joined them. Luke, the physician at this point, becomes a Christian. And now the, uh, the, the dialogue, the, the, the tense changes, and he starts getting very much more detail. I think he felt at liberty at this point. I was there. I saw what happened. And I'm about to read to you an account that uh, is really amazing in the detail. We get much more of the, you're on the edge of your seat, what's going to happen next, describing what had happened, because he was actually there. And uh, this has to do with uh, uh, Paul and uh, I presume Luke and some others were all arrested uh, for being Christians. Uh, this is early Christianity. It was very controversial. They thought maybe they were just subversives and causing trouble, because a lot of times they'd go in and preach the gospel, in some area, you know, and, and people would get upset and they'd riot and stuff, especially, you know, if you're saying that there's no such thing as a god, <clears throat> you know, or goddess is like some temple. Well, all the people who like that aren't happy with you. <laughs> so, so anyway, just to keep the peace, they started cracking down on Christianity. So Paul and, is arrested and now is being shipped by the uh, Romans uh, back to Rome just to go before Caesar. So we pick it up. Uh, chapter 27. Now, when it was decided that we, notice now he says we, he's not just talking about other people, so he's actually part of this, that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion by the name of Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramidium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristocardus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed at Sidon, and Julius, this centurion, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. My guess is he still had a guard with him and stuff, but, you know, Paul wasn't a murderer or some massive subversive. He was a Christian. So he's kind of like under house arrest and 
So they let him go visit some friends and comes back. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in, in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. Well, we made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off of, I don't even know how you say this word. Where are the vowels? I want to buy a vowel. I don't know, I even say that. Anyway, uh, when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salomon. So they're having a hard time. The winds are fighting against them. Uh, we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost. Sailing had already become dangerous because now it was after the Day of Atonement, which is, you know, later in the year. So Paul warns them. He says, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Now, there's no record or evidence here that God told him this. There is evidence later where God shows him something. But sometimes God doesn't have to tell you. You just got a brain. <laughs> stupid is as stupid does. <laughs> okay? And these morons are sailing in the worst time of the year. The winds are against them. It's dangerous out there in the open sea. This is not a cruise ship with automatic leveling, you know, so it doesn't tilt much. I mean, this is, ah! And they're on this. And Paul's trying to say, this is stupid. Stop already. But we continue to reason. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship, who I'm sure was motivated by money. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, they didn't want to stay there. They wanted to get out of there. The majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. Now, this was a harbor in Crete, not a town in Arizona. All right? And it was facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they got out of there. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeasters swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor, which is designed to slow down the ship, and they let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, you notice the detail here. We have ropes around this and holding things together and what they're doing with the lifeboats. I mean, there's a level of, you know... Everywhere else in the Bible, they would have said they hit a lousy storm. That would have been it. You know what I'm saying? But we're getting a lot of detail now because he's actually experiencing this. We'll pick it up in verse 27. On the 14th night, <laughs> that's a long time, 
14 days of clouds and wind and cold and blowing. And sounds like Wisconsin. <clears throat> On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. And you can imagine the tossing. <coughs> Excuse me, that's going on for 14 days in this brutal thing. They all gave up hope of being saved. These guys were probably scared to death for two weeks. It kept going. Then they sensed that they were approaching land and they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Again, stunning in the detail as he tells the story. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. And they said, let's head for the beach. So where they decided to run the ship aground if they could, cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar. And ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. The stern, which is the back of the ship, broken to pieces by the pounding of the sea. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. Continuing on, it says, now once safely ashore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he was putting it on the fire, a viper. Now, we're not talking about some grass snake from Wisconsin. This is warm weather, nasty, poisonous snake. Uh, jumps out of the pile of, of wood uh, and fastened it on his hand, which means, well, when the islanders saw this snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, hold on, this is one bad dude. He must have killed somebody or something, okay? Because though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. I mean, these people barely made it to shore. They should have all been killed. They barely get there. The first thing, Paul, he's putting together a fire, a poisonous snake guy's out and biting him. This guy's supposed to die. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he must be a god. Now, the moral of this story is sometimes life bites. Even if you're a holy apostle, God may very well allow you to end up in a nasty storm, see everything destroyed, barely surviving, and at the end get bitten by a poisonous snake. The miracle, do you know what the miracle was? He didn't die. The miracle was he was still living. You know, a lot of people go through very difficult times. 
Many times God shows up in miraculous ways and changes the circumstances in answer to prayers. But other times, he just has you right out the storm and everything smashes to bits. And when you think it can't get worse, it does. You say, well, where was God? I always answer, are you still breathing? Because there's your miracle. Sometimes that's the miracle. After all of it, that you're still standing. Now, we just celebrated our patriotic service last week, and, and our friend Greg Stubbe was here, and he asked me to share with you what I had shared with him. It said it really kind of stunned him. I believe he said I jumped up in the air and kicked him in the chest. <laughs> that is a story. Okay, that's not what happened. But he was really struck by it, and I think it really helped him. You see, when I picked up Greg at the airport, he was, he was kind of upset, and he was discouraged and heartbroken. Politicians are erasing all the gains that he and so many others had fought, bled, and died for in the war against terror. And I know what he was talking about. Uh, you know, I don't keep up very much on pop culture, but I, I do stay very attuned to what's happening in the news. Not so much on pop culture. My son always makes fun of me because I never know anything that happens in pop cultures. Actually, the other day, uh, we were over at Brian and Nancy Greasy's house uh, Nancy works for us. Brian does too, actually. And uh, um, they were uh, holding a party for Diane Brierly. She does the Mark Unger show with us and works for us. And she was selling her, celebrating her birthday. She's turning, you know, 78 or something. I don't know, whatever. But uh... <laughs> anyway, so we're at this party. And uh, all of a sudden I get a phone call. And I step out to take the call. And uh, it's uh, Katy Perry's dad. You know who Katy Perry is? Anybody know who that is? Singer, Chicky, Bob, whatever. So, uh, um, so he's, he's talking to me and saying, listen, you know, uh, my wife and I were here and just wanted to talk to you. And uh, we've been following you for some time. We love what you have to say. But he's a very, very nice man. And apparently, if I ever want to go to a Katy Perry concert, I can get free tickets. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they'll take me to the back to spend time with her and meet her and stuff, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. It's very cool. He says, look, if you're ever in the Los Angeles area, you know, we'd love for you to come over to the house. And I said, well, I'm going to L.A. in a couple of weeks to short, shoot more footage for this stupid TV pilot we're still working on. <laughs> and, oh, great. Well, when you're here, so he gives me his contact information and stuff. I said, oh, great. So thanks a lot for calling. And I get off the phone. I walk back into the room. And I said to everybody, I said, hey, Katy Perry's dad just called me. And they all looked at me. And, said, <laughs> and then I asked, who's Katy Perry? You know, because I, I don't idea who this is. This is Katy Perry. Oh, great. I'm glad you called. I don't know who he is or what he's talking about. So, but I was very polite and pretended I did know what he was talking about, which will always make you wonder whenever you talk to me if I know what you're talking about. But anyway, <laughs> apparently I'm good at faking it. Uh, so anyway, I, don't, I don't know pop culture. I don't, I don't get it. I, I still don't care who she is. But anyway, uh, but the news, I do keep up on the news because of what's happening in our world and I want to know what's going on. And I knew what Greg was talking about. And, uh, and a lot of pundits, you know, a lot of conservative commentators, you know, railing against the decisions of the current administration and using phrases like, you know, everything is done in vain and all oh, this is wasted. And I know what they're trying to do and they're trying to make political points and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I wish they wouldn't do that. And if you ever get a chance to call into one of these shows, tell them to stop it. It's very discouraging 
to the men and women who have sacrificed. You know, uh, Vietnam vets can relate to the very same thing. They served. They went because their country asked them to do what they did. And many of them paid with their lives. A lot of them suffered and all this kind of stuff. And at the end, everybody's using phrases like, oh, it was a waste. We accomplished nothing. It was, you know, and Greg, after all that he had been through and the wounds that he had suffered and friends that he had lost, was hearing this mantra that it's all was for, for nothing. And I said to him, look, just because a journey ends in failure, just as we read in the book of Acts, it never erases the good that is done along the way. And what really struck him is I said, you know, Greg, it's, it's not unique just to soldiers. Everybody experiences this at some point in life. Something happens they hadn't expected to happen. And they oftentimes get very discouraged and think that everything that I did was for nothing. But it's bad thinking. And I want to encourage you today not to think that way. What if you work for a company for 20 years and then the company goes out of business? Was your 20 years of work in vain? What if you invested everything in starting a company and the company fails? Was everything you did a waste? What if your marriage of 25 years ends in divorce? Was your whole life worth nothing? Were the children you raised, loved, and sacrificed for, was it all in vain? Speaking of children, what if you raise a child right? When they become of age, they go off and do all kinds of crazy, stupid things. Oftentimes I'll hear parents say, you know, uh, it was all, all for nothing. Really? What if you studied for years to become a something and then wind up being something else? A lot of people have that story, right? It was all the studying, all the work, all your effort. Was it all for nothing? You know, a lot of people would answer in the affirmative. Yes, it was all for nothing. And I can see why so many people in life are depressed and disheartened. Listen to me. Sacrifice is never in vain. Discipline is never in vain. Service is never in vain. Sharing, giving, loving, all of it, it's never in vain. Here's the thing. The journey you're on might very well end up shipwrecked. And just when you think, 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 think things can't get any worse, can't talk, you might get bitten by a poisonous snake. And about the only miracle you have is you're still alive. Is it a failure? Is everything in vain? No. Don't let failure define you. Don't let the end results determine who you are. Remember along the way, all the good that you do in life is being recorded, the Bible says, and will someday be rewarded to you. It's never in vain. Don't focus so much on the end thing. Again, no wonder so many people are depressed. Spend their whole life and say, oh, it didn't work out. This didn't work out or that didn't work out. And they're all bummed out and discouraged. No, don't be that way. It's never for naught. A lot of us need to think like marathon runners. Anybody here run marathons? Different campuses, I know different people. The bell and all these different things. 
I don't know why you do that. I do not run unless someone is chasing me. And here's the interesting thing. These guys run. They plan. They do all this great. They train. But they have no delusions of winning. It's the furthest thing from their mind. They know they're not going to win. You see, it's not about crossing the finish line. It's about running the best race they can run. We need to view all of life in that kind of light. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, it says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's supposed to be our life. Run a good race. Be the best you you can be. Love, care, sacrifice, give. Don't let the end result affect you. Many people, they fear the end result. That's all their whole life. Some of you maybe are this way. They so fear failure, they don't risk anything. Their whole lives, they do nothing. They play it safe constantly. They live in the miry world of gray because they're afraid to risk black or white. Don't do that. What if I, what if I do it, Pastor, and it doesn't work out? So what? You pick yourself up and move forward again. I promise you, some of the most successful people in the world have more failures than anybody else. I know one guy personally. He's one of the richest men in Australia. One of the richest, I think he's the richest man in Australia. One of the richest men in the world. Made and lost millions three or four different times before he finally became a success. I don't know who kept giving him money. I wouldn't have given him money. But he kept finding investors. Let's do it again. These people, successful people, never let failure define them. Some of the most greatest people, I love looking at these biographies on TV or reading about these stories, some of these great historical figures. When you read them, it's stunning what losers they were. You should read Abraham Lincoln. The guy was one of the biggest losers on the earth. Everything he did failed and he ran for office over and over again. They failed and he failed and he failed. His list of failures is stunning and he finally wins the presidency. He's a great man. He was a great man. Why? Because he never let his failures define him. It's never, oh, it was a waste. It was all for nothing. You know, to this day, uh, Modern Christianity in America, particularly evangelical Christianity, but all of it, has never recovered financially from the foolishness of Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart. I know Jim Baker personally, very nice guy, but it was a stupid, they're all idiots what they did. Up to that point, this is like late 80s, up to that point, huge amounts of money from people like you and me were funneled and given freely to these people. And the kingdom of God was making great advances in the preaching of the gospel and all these networks were being built and stuff like that. To this very day, ministries will tell you they have never recovered financially. Ministries that had nothing to do with them. Do you know why? Because multiple millions, the vast majority of Christians in America took the mentality that since they failed, everything I gave was in vain. So they stopped giving. But you holding on to all your money for fear of what might happen in the end 
is a foolish way to live. All you're doing is robbing yourself of many blessings. Jesus said, give and it would be given to you. Well, what if it doesn't work out? So what? Some of you, I know, have come from other churches where you gave a lot, and sacrificed a lot, and the church failed for one reason or the other, and it's been hard for you to really get connected this morning. And I promise you, there are more people listening to me on television right now that are in church. You slackers, get out of bed. <laughs> but you know, a lot of them, the reason why they don't go to church? Well, I had a bad experience. I had a bad experience. I went to that one church, and that turned out to be a hypocrite. Really, you're going to let the determined actions of other people determine what you do? Because they think that it's all for nothing. They have that mentality, that that finite, weak mentality that if things don't turn out exactly the way they want, then everything is a waste. So rather than take that risk, I risk nothing. And they're wasting their lives. Get involved. Love, share. Oh, my heart was broken. I loved a boy. And he didn't love me back. I'll never love again. Uh. Seriously? Who cares? Move on. Don't think like that. Don't let the final result give the final say about your life. As I've said to you before, enjoy the journey on the road that you're at because the road you're on might be a dead end. It's true. Say, Pastor, how will I know when you get to the end? It's the only way that you know. And I promise you, some of you right now are on a journey you have all the faith in, and I got really bad news for you. It's going to suck when you get to the end. Because it's going to fail. And you're going to turn the corner, and that sign's going to be up. Bridge out. Well, what do you do? Was everything in vain? A lot of people think that way. Oh, the whole journey, all, the, all of it meant nothing. No, of course it meant something. Successful people just turn around and go back and find all over the other road. Don't let these final determinations define your life. Live your life. Love, give, care, sacrifice. If you've served your country with honor, never allow the decisions of some politicians erase your service. If you worked hard and things didn't turn out the way you wished, well, you worked hard. You provided for yourself and for your loved ones. If you started a business and it failed, so what? If nothing else, you've learned what not to do the next time. And I promise you, the greatest lessons I've learned in my life are a direct result of failure. I have a PhD in failure. I have failed miserably so many times. And that's what you learn from it. Oh, don't do that again. Woo! My wife and I laugh about all our failures. Oh, oh, learn not to do that one. Never defines us. If your mom and dad ended a divorce, does it mean that they didn't love you? That your whole childhood was for nothing? No. If you supported a church or some nonprofit thing and something bad happens, does that mean all that money was wasted? No. On Judgment Day, you will not be judged on whether or not your career succeeded. On Judgment Day, you will not be judged on whether or not what you believed in reached its final goal. 
a judgment day, you will certainly not be judged on what some other politician decides or some boss decides. I mean, all, there's a lot of our lives we just we have no control over. Never means your life is wasted. If you love, you sacrifice, you serve, you give, and you care. Even if you're a great apostle and the stupid ship you're on sinks to the bottom of the sea, some moronic snake bites you. It's never for nothing. No, on that great day, we will not be judged on the results of the end of the race, but rather on how well of a race we ran. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your love. We thank you for your example. You gave the greatest sacrifice you could give when Jesus died on that cross. And what a risk. There was no guarantee anybody would believe any of this. And if no one would have believed, that would have never said or made that sacrifice in vain. We thank you, Lord. I pray for people today that are struggling in life. They feel that because things failed one way or the other that they've wasted so many years. Help them to see this morning that love, sacrifice, giving, caring, all of that has its own reward and that it's never in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.